You're listening to Medically Unbiased. Unbiased. Offering an unbiased discussion about all things medical. See? An unbiased opinion. Medically speaking? Yeah. Medically Unbiased. Hello and welcome back to Medically Unbiased. I'm here again with Dr. Dominic Robine. How you doing, sir? I'm good. You good? Thank you. So what's been happening in your world the last few weeks since we spoke? Anything new? Nothing new? No new mm, news? Nothing crazy. Okay. I listened back to the first podcast. Oh, <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Super disappointed. Super disappointed? Why? I didn't know that. I mean, I seriously sound like, um, <laughs> who's that? Who's this CNN guy? The, uh, uh, the doctor. Sanjay Gupta. You think you sound like Sanjay Gupta? If he mated with Kermit the Frog. <laughs> Whatever. It's, uh, <laughs> I had I asked my wife, like, do I sound like that in real life? She said, yeah. Well, that's, oh, why, I, that's why I did a podcast, because I have a face for radio. I mean, I'm just, yeah, I was, I was disappointed. Oh, I'm sorry to no, hear that. No, not in the content, but in, in just. Just in the sound? I'm very self-conscious of my voice now. I need to talk deeper. <laughs> Well, we can maybe change that. I'll go in and modify it. You can like Make, auto auto tune my voice. Yeah, we'll auto tune you. I like that. Like pop, like a pop star. You, I, don't, I need you it. don't have any ability to sing, but we'll auto tune you and make it sound like you're singing. I can actually sing like a songbird. Oh, really? I've been called the songbird of my generation. <laughs> That's awesome. You no. and Otis Redding. That's my favorite. <laughs> my favorite. Your favorite. Yep. So I was going to ask you some questions about Taver. Okay. Because I know how much you love doing them, I, and yeah, and they are, you know, what you train to do, right? That's kind of what was cool and hip at the time. Yeah. So, recently, within the last eight months, or, eight hours, eight hours, in well, in the last year, really, it's become a less uh, risky procedure. Originally, it was a super high risk procedure. And then didn't the American College of Cardiology drop the risk, uh, the risk stratification of that actual procedure to where it's not as high a risk? Yeah. So several things happened. They, as as time goes on and technology advanced, you know the the procedure itself, um, in terms of of patient selection, uh, has changed. You know, initially it was only um, offered to high risk and inoperable patients and and who were not candidates for open heart surgery um so in other words they might survive open heart surgery right right so then you you had to compare um you know risk of doing nothing versus risk of of taver and the risk of of taver was lower so that's what opened that population up so the initial device itself um because all of this goes into risk you know the device itself was big and bulky um and it required surgical cut down in the femoral um it required you know the patient to be intubated and you would do a, a transesophageal echo um so all of that added more to the risk on top of the fact that the patients just they were sick sicker uh, yes. going into it so then as, as time has progressed the device has gotten smaller um the uh, we we are better able to prepare for complications um like pacemaker the need for a permanent pacemaker or or um 
you know, people with difficult vascular, uh, peripheral vasculature, um, do we need to do a cut down up front or can we do this percutaneously? So all that stuff is just over time, we've gotten better at it and the device has gotten better. And as that has happened, the indication um, has been expanded by the FDA, like you said, to, you know, intermediate patients. And this is all based on, you know, big, big trials. Uh, they looked at, you know, open, conventional open um aortic valve replacement versus TAVR in the intermediate risk patients. And uh, it was, you know, non-inferior, which mm-hmm. is great. Uh, and even a subset of those, the percutaneous transfemoral, um, you know, no incisions, patient breathing on their own, sedated, but uh, not using a ventilator. That subset actually had a superiority uh, with TAVR. So oh, that was wow. huge. Um, and then more recently, I don't know, it was last year, uh, late last year, FDA kind of approved for all all risk. Um, so yeah, the, the risk has come down and the patients that can get the surgery are certainly healthier. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's exploded. The floodgates have opened for sure. Yeah. So you've doubled or tripled the volume of what you need to do is what you're saying. We've doubled or tripled the number of patients who are candidates. Um, which is, yeah, certainly the, there, there is very, there, there's a much, much less conventional solo open heart for a valve replacement. You know, there do just you, doesn't happen as much. Do you think that COVID played into the factor of the number of candidates that we've had this year? Because if you take the number of patients, I would think that it would have doubled your volume or tripled volume, right? Just because you have more patients yeah, that have, have symptoms have, that are getting screened and then getting, t- yeah. Correct. Yeah. Kind of like stenting was in the late 80s, early 90s, where you stented everybody. Yeah, and then, and then, you, uh, then you go to jail for that now. It's yeah, salt right. It's salt. Or, you know, when pacemakers came out, everybody mm-hmm. got a pacemaker. Stub your toe, pacemaker. Right. I mean, syncopal, a pacemaker for sure. That was a pacemaker. Yeah. I don't know if COVID affected it at all because you also had um, fewer patients wanting to even come in for symptoms and get screened. And, I guess that's what I'm saying is yeah. it, it, it affected it in a negative way, not because you did more procedures, but because you did less. Even though your patient volume... Yeah. could have been higher and the number of patients who qualified for it would have been larger do you think that covid was a direct result of causing less of those procedures to get done in the hospital well the hospital also shut that down TAVR was considered a, elective. an elective procedure okay. um, i can see both sides of that argument um because you know unless it's critical aortic stenosis or the patient is you know in florid heart failure um, you, you could probably argue that it is elective and, and we do these outpatient. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, I could see both ways, but at the same time, um, it, you put yourself in the patient's shoes. And if someone says you have a severely narrowed valve that requires surgery, surgical replacement of whatever sort, it's elective. I'm right. going to say you're full of shit and get me, get me in there, <laughs> uh, open me up, whatever you need to do, um, right. and fix me. Uh, so, so it's elective by survive is what you're saying. Right. Yeah. So it's tough. That's the, that's. That's a tough situation. I don't know. I really, um, we definitely saw a hit in terms of procedures during the lockdown. Yeah, I think everyone did across the board. I mean, there was evidence and research data that showed that STEMIs were down, I think, 80% across the the world, like globally. You know, Spain, Italy, France, UK, they had less STEMIs. And we know that that didn't stop. Right. They had just yeah, less people, fewer people came in with that, and, and more people were coming in with this 
not not a classical you know thrombotic plaque rupture they were coming in with with you know thrombosis in the vessels just from this profound inflammation and this clotting cascade and and they didn't need a stent they needed an aspiration thrombectomy right and an impella for their new <laughs> cardiomyopathy but um so yeah that 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 definitely changed everything we didn't get hit nearly as hard as uh say orthopedics you know my brother-in-law like i said i think on the last one he's up in portland and they 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 got shut down i mean completely we we could still do some caths um and certainly acutes um the acutes were still happening but right if i had a patient in the office that had chest pain i was concerned about i could still schedule a cath outpatient cath Uh i basically had to sign a a form saying you get my firstborn child and (laughs) i'm gonna you know sign your life away essentially that it needed to be done for sure so on the idea of out uh, so patients that go to the hospital generally they get a door to balloon time of 90 minutes that's the goal Mm -hmm. the standard door to ekg of 10 but we in Las Vegas have a lot of outlying hospitals, and they call them hospitals, but I don't necessarily like to call them hospitals. They're really small facilities that happen to do like a quick care with overnight beds. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're, on the sign out front, it says emergency room and hospital. Yeah. So I wonder if, do you think people would benefit? So we get some patients that come from those facilities, and then when they've come from those facilities our door to balloon time seems to be delayed in that regard yeah it's yeah. not it's not 90 we don't hit the 90 minute door to balloon yeah, so I mean, 90 and 90 minutes is is the gold standard well it's the it's the the published number that we're supposed to be under but like if you're under if you're at 90 minutes you're you know in the in the first percentile yeah you need to be way better really than bad. that for right. being an actual you know yeah 30 PCI. 40 minutes is is a, a reasonable uh, achievable goal um, right and, and a lot of these you know big coordinary referral centers that have in-house you know teams um they get that they do that they they hit those numbers right um, regularly i, I want to say that at the main hospital that we go to um over 60 minutes over 70 minutes or right around there was in the maybe the maybe the 40th 30th percentile Oh, wow. So it wasn't horrible. No, but it also wasn't good. Um, So, yeah, we're under 90, but the – and that that actually – that that was a big frustrating bone of contention for me. I don't do the acutes anymore, but, you know, I would routinely beat the team in because they get 30 minutes to come in. Right. Well, I'm here in 15. I've seen the patient already. I'm sitting in the cath lab. I've taken pictures before. I'm sitting in there. Like, (laughs) there's no one here. There's no patient. Uh, And then – you know, by the time I can walk in the room, 55 minutes have passed. Oh, <laughs> you know? wow. So uh, if my personal goal and the, the, the hospital's goal is 60 minutes and I get five minutes to get access, get a wire across a lesion and deploy a device, that's not quite fair. No. And, and Puts the onus on you as opposed to putting the onus on the facility. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, the patient suffers too. So right. the the number again, this is an average. It, it was definitely inflated by a few bad boys that uh, would you know take a STEMI call at multiple different hospitals across the city, and they'd be doing a STEMI at one place, and they'd get another one here, and they wouldn't come in for ninety minutes. Oh. So that definitely affected the numbers. You yeah, get, yeah. You have one case where um, you know someone would not show up for you know a couple hours, and all of a sudden your your average is out the window. Out. Yep. Yeah. So um, they actually, they definitely um, shamed us 
by posting that publicly as they should i told, yeah, yeah, yeah. i think that's very reasonable to do they posted um they posted this graph um like a bar graph that showed every STEMI operator and their time average door to device time okay and then put a letter underneath it and they like told an us a, like a grade a, letter a through you know g through, or whatever okay. it was and then they they told us what our letter was. So it didn't say Robine, you know, uh, sixty two minutes or whatever. It just said B. And so <laughs> you, you could see, you know, I, I knew I see my letter and I'm I'm okay. And then I see someone out here that's like average time of of ninety five minutes. Oh wow! And in my mind, I'm I'm going. I know exactly who that is. You know, right? Same bad boys every time. Same offenders. I was just wondering on the hospital side for those small hospitals. Yeah. If we change the names of those facilities to not be hospital, I don't think it's fair to call them a hospital because they don't do the same things that a hospital does, right? So yeah. would that change the door to balloon time? No, the patient's still going to have pain. They're still going to need assistance. Uh, but would it direct patients to the right facility if we had the right name of the facility on the building? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know because it's... I think it's it's truly it's first medical contact. So I don't know if that matters if you're in a hospital or a, an urgent care. Well, they don't um, count door to balloon time when the paramedics show up to you. That's not a door. No, that's not a door. And that's so, first medical contact. Yeah, that's true. But I think uh, from a facility at least, if they're coming not from home, you know. I understand, but I mean, if I don't call that facility a hospital, yeah, if I call it a quick care, overnight quick care. Yeah, the then the other thing that's kind of messed up with the with this one in particular is um, they are a satellite hospital, and so they can they only from what I understand they can only bring patients to this hospital. I see. So they're feeder for the larger hospital, right? Even though I think from a mileage standpoint, there is a closer PCI hospital. Ah. Which that's politics, and that's and maybe I'm wrong, but that's from what I understand is the way it works. So. I, I I do have issues with that because if, if we're if we're supposed to have a, a you know 120 minute whatever you know outside facility to a primary PCI facility mm-hmm. balloon time um, and, and someone is you know a certain distance up the street and it takes 15 minutes normally I mean what does it take today when the traffic's terrible oh, or, yeah. or and then do you take into consideration the fact that this particular hospital may not have a good door to balloon time, you know, right. All that stuff plays into it. Um, so yeah, I don't know if they changed the name at all, if that would, if that would make a difference. I just always wondered that if you change the name to those small satellite facilities and didn't call them hospitals, does your clock change? Not only does the clock change, but does the patient's perception of what's available at that facility change? Oh yeah. Yeah. So would the patient then drive to a primary PCI facility that says hospital on the building? Because the average American, I believe, thinks that the word hospital means we can do everything. Yeah. Well, and even especially though, if you see emergency room. Correct. If this is emergency room yeah, and hospital, so. those two things combined lead the patient to believe that they're going to get taken care of. It doesn't necessarily make the patient think, oh, I'm going to go here. They're going to look at me and they're going to be like, oh, crap, I can't do anything about this. I'm going to call um, AMR to come yeah. transport this person to somewhere who can. And yeah, the I patient's think- like, why the hell did I come here? Yeah, that's the. I mean, I think you could you could play that on the on the uh, on many other issues. Like if you had a gunshot wound, correct. Exactly. I'm not coming here, but it's a it's an ER. You know, it's and I. You may think I'm coming to this ER because I, I'm I'm hemorrhaging right now from a gunshot wound, mm-hmm. and 
I mean, at, at this particular hospital, not a knock on them. It's just not what they're set up to do. No, it's not what they're they do gonna, here. They're going to stabilize you and get you to the other hospital down the street. Right. right? So, so, yeah. At UMC in Nevada is a level one trauma center. Right. And they're the ones who are going to take care of that. And then a really good level two trauma center is Sunrise. Yep. So, they're going to take care of those gunshot wound, those gunshot victims. So, October 1st was, October 1, 2017 was the, the really good highlight of how that worked because those level one and level two centers were overwhelmed with, you know, level one and level two trauma. Yep. And a lot of the level three and tertiary hospitals out in the periphery were inundated with high, you know, high level casualty and high level wounds they didn't normally take care of. And it kind of highlighted the, the link between need versus availability versus, you know, number of patients. So when I take that trauma side of it and I apply it to the, cardiac side of it i sometimes wonder if we as a medical profession are doing a disservice to the general public by giving them this building with a nice bunch of lights and a big parking lot Mm -hmm. and it's all pretty and it says emergency room on the front of the door yeah are we lying to them misleading them not i almost like social media are we misleading this person into a false sense of security that a hospital's been built in my neighborhood it's not a hospital now that facility is really good at taking care of cuts and scrapes and probably has an x-ray and take care of broken bones and stabilize you until you can get to see your orthopedic but are they truly emergent room or is this Mm. more of a i I don't know what their capabilities are but i don't know i think they do a cats no they're not but at the same time how many people are going to go there for a, a cath indication compared to how many are going to need to go there for an emergency room. Maybe they've got a kidney stone. Maybe they've got, you know, a laceration. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's going to be a lot more of those type issues that can be managed there. And certainly some, some really high acuity cases that are going to have to be transferred out. So I don't, I don't know if it's. So I know the numbers thing. would be available, but I, whether I could get a hold of them or not, it's a whole other story. So that facility, the, the tertiary facility or outpatient mm-hmm. facility or whatever you want to call it, the outlying hospital, wasn't always there. Mm-mm. So you could easily take the numbers from the number of cases that have been here at this facility, right, right. prior to that being built. So 2011 numbers, let's say. Let's go back nine years. Take the numbers from 2011 here, find out how many cases were STEMIs, how many mm-hmm. what was the door to balloon time, and then... Take that facility. Did that facility negatively affect the amount of cases that came here initially? And of the cases that came from that facility, what's the door-to-balloon time difference? Right. And if the door-to-balloon time difference... Is substantial. Or if it's in your favor, then you keep it in there. Yeah, that's right. And if it's not, then, if you, it's not, then, then you, you need to readjust. Yeah, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know the answer to that. No, I don't either. I don't even know if I could get the data, but I'm sure it's available somewhere. Yeah, you could. I think the number is, is low. I think it's 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 a a handful. Yeah, I'm sure monthly. it's not a lot. I just always wonder because there's one of those facilities by me, one of those yeah. hospitals by me, and people ask me because I'm in the medical profession. And they say, "Hey, should I go there?" If I, I'm like, "No." Yeah. Go to the big hospital. Yeah, I don't. I mean, just go to the big hospital. I, I think I would too. I don't know. Honestly, don't know what what is required to be able to call yourself like a standalone ER. I, I don't know the answer, but um, I'm sure it's imaging of some sort and, and it has to do with the ability to get you to a big hospital, I'm sure. Yeah, but I'm sure there's been a big, long discussion by oh, a bunch yeah. of business people and physicians and 
medical, you know, probably fewer people. physicians than business people. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. I'm so cynical now, but no, there's probably 20 MBAs to each doc, maybe for every yep. conversation that's being had. I mean, this is the this is the insurance company uh, paradigm right now. It's just it's run by business business people, and they dictate care, and that's wrong. So how how could we? from this perspective, go into fixing that because I, so today I wrote a prescription for a patient and I told them, I said, I don't, what's frustrating to me is, and this has been highlighted on, uh, what's his name? Z dog MD. He has a podcast as well. He talks about this all the time about cost, right? I am not able to tell my patient what the drug is going to cost them. Right. So if I write for Xarelto versus Eliquis versus Pradaxa for someone with AFib, I cannot, everyone's got different insurance and everyone has different rates and insurance companies have negotiated a different rate for the medication and different agreements. I can't tell them. So it makes, it puts me in a, in a position where it's difficult when I want them to save money. I want my patient to save money, but I also want to protect them. So I can't say, well, here, go on Eliquis. Your insurance company has already showed me in this charting system that it's going to cost you 80 bucks a month. Yeah. And Prodax is 250 and, you know, Zarelto is 500 I I can't give them that information. So they go out with a prescription for Zarelto and samples, mm-hmm. and then they go to their pharmacy, and I get a call two days later that says, hey, this is going to cost me $400 a month. I can't afford that. Right. Yeah, that Z-Dog MD was Naveed's neighbor, by the way. Oh, was he really? Back in the day. <laughs> um, so, and, and the other frustrating thing is um, you can have – depending on what tier the medication is in your insurance plan, I can say I'm trying to get um, Sorelto. Right. And I can go to Walgreens. It's this price. CVS, it's this price. Oh, yeah. Hundreds and hundreds. And then I can go to Walmart, and it's $30. (laughs) That, to me, I'm not smart enough to understand how to fix that, but I am smart enough to tell you that that's bonkers. That's not right. And the fact that, 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 that... so, and this gets to, this hits on a lot of, of issues that I have with, with the medical field in general right now, medicine in general. It's, there's a lot of, there's definitely a lot of greed, but I think less than we think in terms of physicians. Yeah, I don't think the physicians are greedy because there's studies I that think, show that. Well, I, I think that um, there's in all of us a desire to uh, make money, right, to be able but, to support. And that's, that's but not point. not at the expense or the at the harm of a patient. Rarely. I would say rarely. That's I, really I, minimal. Um, we're all hungry for more money for sure but yeah. you would you wouldn't be in business doing business stuff if you weren't right so i don't know if medicare for all is the right answer i, I, I honestly don't know but the fact that so the fact that i can do a procedure and one insurance company will pay will reimburse five times what medicare will and so because of that and this isn't a, a, a standard practice is to to you know to bill over what medicare will pay mm-hmm. in case in case of capturing you can capture some of those that pay more right um, that's not right or wrong that's just the way the system's set up and i think that's messed up so yeah just make it what if you want to use medicare's rates for reimbursement okay fine then do that we all make less money but at least it's proportional it's fair yeah no one should have to negotiate what they're going to reimburse or what the patient's going to have to pay it should be upfront and and standardized throughout the system well i know what i'm just, paying for my oil change when i go get it yeah I know exactly what my oil change is going to cost me. Yeah. So when I go, and that's a vehicle, I get it. It's not a human, you yeah. know. But I should be able to go into 
and cash businesses do this. Plastic surgery is well versed in how much this is going to cost you. There's a surgery. Um, there's a hospital, and I think it's in Oklahoma that you can go on their website. You can look at the total cost, 100% of the cost for bypass for hip replacement really? from the so it's open hospital source. stay to everything. It's just completely upfront. This is the cost. Um, and they're very successful. That's how, well, that's how it should be. I, I mean, so I don't think we should be hiding that information. I, I think the fact that yeah. when I get, um, when I get, uh, you know, I, I want to do a, a certain test on a patient, um, and I get a denial from the insurance company and, I know that that's based on this algorithm that a, a business person has set up that has to do with the bottom line. It, it doesn't it, it doesn't imp- impact their bottom line the way they would like for it to. It has nothing to do with the patient's care. I'm a, I, I honestly believe that. And then, you know, we'll sometimes have to do these these peer to peer discussions. And when we talk with doctors, I love doing them because. Uh, I, I, I tell them, listen, this is the situation. This, this is, is my medical justification right. for it. It always gets approved every time. It, it's, it, it's hard to respond to something so idiotic. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> but it's so frustrating. Um, I, I do feel like insurance companies dictate patient care yeah. and don't have the patient at, in their best interest. And that's a huge conflict of interest. You know, that's just not. That, that will never succeed if it's done like that. And then right. get, then it gets inflated and it gets ballooned up and it's out of control. It's just so, out of control now. Yeah, if you're beholden to the stockholders of the company, you can't yeah. not simultaneously be beholden to your, your it's impossible. paying customer. It's impossible. I, and have their best medical interest at heart. Yeah, yeah that's just, uh, that is not possible. And, and I'll, I, I will admit, I do not know the answer. Not smart enough for that, but no, I, this I don't is messed. It's just messed up. The, and then again, you look at you look at what. And so, getting to the very personal side of it, like the physician side of it, is someone doing a boob job, right? And right. just a, 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 I'm sorry, a breast, breast augmentation. augmentation. <laughs> um, it, I guess I can't use that one because that's cosmetic. Um, so a vein, a, a vein, a varicose vein. Okay, right? a varicose vein. Perfect example. So you can do like radio frequency ablation. So you're going to treat the varicose vein on a patient that has symptomatic varicosities, and they've tried conservative therapy, and it negatively impacts their quality of life and mobility, and all the stuff that the insurance company says you have to do. Right. Uh, because that's 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 right, uh, and, and you should do it that way. Um, but it doesn't work, so you decide to do a, a radio frequency ablation or whatever you want. You're fixing the vein, and. The insurance company is, is going to reimburse that doctor, um, I want to say probably four times the amount that they would reimburse the same doctor to come in the middle of the night and fix someone's heart attack and save their life. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so the, messed up. So the very city is going to be fixed right. at a much higher rate, So dollar right. rate. Right, so so that that just shows me that there's they are not prioritizing the patient because they are not prioritizing us and what we're doing either. Um, it's a broken system. It's a broken system. See, on the, and on the flip side of the broken system, I always thought, what if down the road, say some area of town, let's pick a city. I don't even care. New York, downtown New York. There's a lot of doctors there, right? But what if there's not a lot of doctors in the middle of Wyoming, <laughs> and to get your license, you have, we pay all these licensing fees to get our license from the DEA, 
the mm. state pharmacy board, and then the federal government licenses you to be able to practice medicine. So what if they say, well, we're not licensing any doctors in this region. You can only be licensed in these regions. So Medicare for All, in my opinion, is is a dictation on the amount of money you're going to make. Because right now you're saying that you could make more money if you're doing procedures for X insurance company. If you get partnered with that insurance company, you know, insurance company X, and they're paying you four times what Medicare is paying you, you could be hungry and willing and make more money doing procedures for that company. Right. Yeah, that's, uh, and that happens, by the way. You'll you'll find doctors and, and groups that say we do not take Medicare. Right. That's a, I just I don't understand how that's not a huge red flag. Why don't you take Medicare? Right. There's one only one reason. There's only one possible it's reason. It's got to be a financial reason. You you see that you if you load your you know schedule and, and, and your your patient population is just a commercial pay, um, you're going to make more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- I don't know. That just that really that digs at me. That's just that's just not right. I guess that's my worry with going to like a Medicare for all system is that now I will be told. Well, no, we have enough nurse practitioners in Vegas, actually. So we're not going to mm-hmm. license you in Vegas. You can, we really short in Anchorage, Alaska. <laughs> we need we need nurse practitioners there, and we need nurse practitioners training cardiology there. So we'll license you in Anchorage. We'll also license you in, like, you know, middle of Florida. Yeah. It's the two, two, you can go to Jacksonville, you can go yeah. to Anchorage. That's where you can get licensed right now. This one. Right. So then you say, no, I don't want to do it. So then what, do you just lose the... I mean, that's all hypothetical, but to me it's plausible because they're dictating. But why would would, uh, a standardized insurance plan change your ability to to provide in a certain location? But if it's Medicare for all, they're the ones dictating where, when, how much, why, what's happening. They're, They're the dictating factor here. Yeah, but your population, your population hasn't changed at all. No, my so population hasn't the changed. Same, same number of providers in this area that hasn't changed at all. Now no. you're just on level playing field. Right, but someone, else, but this place wants to grow. So who dictates when it's grown to the point where they need another provider? Yeah, and who? How does that? So right now you're being everyone's being served supposedly. But what's the average wait time to see a cardiologist? In our office, anyone can be seen tomorrow. I will see Pretty someone much. tomorrow, yep. and I have a couple cardiologists that will see people tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, But there are groups that are two months out. Uh, yeah, I've never understood that either. There are people that are months and months out on seeing patients, and not just in cardiology, but in all facets of medicine, all levels. So you want to see a specialist, a GI specialist, you might be two months from being able to be seen. Yeah. So for the, for my mom and dad that are that are two of the four listening, <laughs> if anyone else is listening and you're in med school, become a rheumatologist in Las Vegas. Oh yeah, you rheumatology. Busy. Yeah, you'll be busy tomorrow. And if you're good, then yeah, you'll you probably uh, could be on like Doctor Oz and stuff. Um, <laughs> because yeah, there's just I think the rheumatol there's only a few a handful that I know of here, and they're just I mean it's six months to get into CM. Correct. That's you my can, point. You is hit it, the ground here. Yeah, you hit the ground running. But, Maybe I'll do a fellowship. <laughs> but what happens if you know they're all of a sudden they get a bunch and now they're full, and then the licensing board says, you know what, we have plenty, and we need to shift. We don't have enough in this area. I just, 
I hate the fact that government is guiding that. We are not, even though we're working as a business, we're not in truly in business. I'm being dictated and told that I need to be able for a license. I need to pay for a farm. I need to do all this stuff, and I got to pay to people who have no clue what I do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. the board of nursing. I pay the board of nursing. I pay the board of pharmacy. I pay the state um, medical board. So I pay all these fees, hundreds mm-hmm. and hundreds of dollars in fees, and then you got to get all the insurance company backing so that you can say that you're able to build the insurance companies. Yeah. You know, it's three or four months worth of effort to be able to even start doing your job. This is true. Whereas if you go At just least, get yeah. a business license and hang a shingle and start changing oil in cars, I mean, yeah. I'm not comparing doctors to oil change. I kind of am, I guess. But yeah. Because you know the numbers, right? But they're not dictating to you. If you want to go up in another, you know, oil change place two feet from the one that's next door, you know. And I think you want- I would do that before I went to Anchorage. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> a little less snow shoveling for sure. Yeah, so. yeah. I don't know. It's it's it. I but it is it is broken, um, and I don't know how to fix it. I'm not like I said. I'm not smart enough. But there's someone that that's smart enough, and I don't think that they are totally a business person. They've got medical background. Yeah, it's going to be somebody coming in that's seen the system broken. It's an MD, DLMDA kind of thing. Yeah, right. Um, I, I think. I hope. I, st- I actually started off in that MBA program uh, in med school. The business side of it? Yeah, so there's a combined medical degree and an MBA okay. in healthcare administration. And uh, it was actually through Rockhurst University in Kansas City, which is a very good business school. So um, I signed up for that. I got student loans for that. Um, and, and I got the book uh, and, and all the initial, you know, the, 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 um, the rubric and the outline for the class. And, and I read... The first, uh, the book was called The Lexus and the Olive Tree. And I'm a big reader. I love to read. I read every, every night, non-medical, uh, like I'm rereading The Alchemist right now for the 500th time. <laughs> nice. But um, the book was The Lexus and the Olive Tree. I read the first book, and I remember laying down on the couch in our, lo- in our loft in Kansas City. I looked at my wife, and I said, I'm dropping out of school. I'm not doing this MBA thing. Oh, wow. I'm not smart enough for it. That, that Just that one book was, was too much for me. But there is some... Uh, medical business minded person that, that, that has the answer or a group of them. Um, it's going to come in with a solution. Hopefully to fix it. Yep. All right, well, let's take a break and we'll come back with our next setup. So I'm still sitting here with Dr. Robine, Nevada Cardiology, and I wanted to bring up, well, first of all, if you guys have questions, you can email me at info at medicallyunbiased.com. You can follow us on Twitter, and it's ironic that I'm talking about Twitter because I think we're going to talk about some social media stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you think social media is a problem? And I know, and this is kind of a loaded question because we've watched The Social Dilemma, if you guys have not seen that show on Netflix, I highly suggest that people watch that show on Netflix. That was a very good, very scary, in my opinion, very kind of eye-opening show on Netflix that really 
shows how messed up we are as a society a little bit based on social media. And I sometimes wonder if social media isn't negatively affecting the medical community because patients come in and I used to joke about this in the ER when I worked in the ER. I said, we need to ask multiple questions of the patient. What do you think you have? What hmm. did Google say you had? And why, like, why did you come here? Because people sometimes come to the hospital not because they have true ailments, but Google said it's going to cause cancer. Mm-hmm. Whatever they had, the rabbit hole led to cancer or death. So they're there in the hospital. And they're an ESI 5. Don't even need to be there. Need some aspirin, go home, whatever. Mm-hmm. Not a problem. So I sometimes wonder, is social media causing a problem in the medical community? Yeah. I, uh, and, and I'm still not. I'm still upset with you for making me watch that. <laughs> that was, uh, that was. I'm sorry, man, but it's kind no, of a it was, thing. I'm, I'm really, actually, I'm very glad you made me watch that. <clears throat> that was, uh, and the, I, I said this to you, but I, I, none of that was, I don't think I was surprised by any of that. I think I knew all that, um, but I just didn't want to hear it. And mm-hmm. it was just, yeah, that was, that was, that was interesting. Um, I definitely, as I was watching it, was deactivating social media. Yeah, uh, you were delete. I, uh, I remember you telling me you were deleting accounts. Yeah, right? I'm one week sober. Um, <laughs> one week sober. That's a good way to look at it. I've done it before. You know, I've, I've gotten rid of uh, social media. Um, I've taken breaks before mm-hmm. um, for various reasons. Um, mostly it was just I felt like it was a time suck. And, and this time, though, it's different. And I would like tap into my Brene Brown vulnerability. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I definitely realize that I'm the I'm not strong enough to to handle the the dopamine hit from social media. It's just uh, it's it's you know I, I'm not a vain person. I don't think. Um, Come on, man. But I definitely would go on there, and you know, I'd see something. Um, man, that guy's got this. You know, he's doing this. That's not fair. Not fair. What does that even mean? And also, you're looking at a, a fake life. You know, it's not a real thing, right? But um, so I, I was definitely into that comparison and um, you know feeling uh, less worthy and, and all that stuff. So I'm just not strong enough for social media. That's just what I've come to. I've come to that conclusion. I'm okay with that. So it's probably better for me to not be on there. I was never very active, but I followed a lot of you know friends, quote friends that I haven't seen in 30 years, and I couldn't right. tell anything about them, but. Um, that, so that was, um, so I'm pissed at you for making me watch that, but it's also very good for me. And, and, and the, back to your question though. Yeah. First for medicine, I've, I've, I used to get so pissed. Um, you know, how dare you do that? Uh, do you have that drop? <laughs> how dare how you? Dare you? I, I, yeah. The one from uh, Greta Van Greta, what was her name? I, dare you. Yeah. How dare you? Yeah. That one. That one. Yeah. That, um, <laughs> You know, your Google research has nothing on my, you know, medical knowledge. I'm a doctor. What are you doing researching (laughs) on the Internet? I was so bad about that. Um, I've totally softened, though. Um, I don't I don't get pissed. It gets annoying at times for sure. Um, But I've come to the realization that I'd, I'd much rather them. I think if they're looking, if they're researching, at least shows interest. They're they're interested in something. And now you have some patients that are trying to find a diagnosis to hinge on and to to kind of rally around for various reasons, you know, sympathy or um, attention. Um, But I think whenever I see patients that, you know, 
primary care said I had a murmur. So I Googled murmur. Well, at least they're taking an interest. Like some people would say, oh, man, I don't know what that means. I, I don't know if that means I'm dying or if it's nothing to worry about. I don't really care. Right. I guess that's okay, too. But I, I'm okay with them doing some research. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. I do Google doctor all the time. Yeah, right. I, you know? I don't mind it being done. That's not. I just wonder if it's... Harmful. It's complicated things for sure. I think it's I think it's turned it into the fact where now with social media, so social media mentions COVID, right? Yeah, they've mentioned COVID what sixty million times. or I something. I think it's in the billion. I think it was in the billions within the first couple months of the of the you know when it was reported. Okay, so that I think people get skewed on their belief structure. Yeah, and then there's groups on. Facebook and Twitter that are either anti-vax or mm-hmm. they're, you know, cancer is not a, th- like there's all these groups and you can find them if you're looking for them. They, well, and, and according to social dilemma, show, they'll find you. They will find you based on your searches Correct. and who you're friends with and in your proximity and oh, and who's looking for you. So to me, I turn my phone off right now. They're listening to us. <laughs> they're listening. So, to me, that idea that that's cap- the, the capability for all of these artificial intelligence bots are out there helping people develop their belief system into whatever disease process. And then you tell the patient or I tell the patient, no, you, this is not lethal. Well, Facebook said my friends, brothers, nephews, cousins, dog died from this and it's going to kill me. Well, I know. I honestly don't think it is. It, It is. I know it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely complicated things quite a bit, and and I, so whenever I, whenever I talk to patients and they're talking about their their internet research and and social media research, I just I I politely advise them to just look in reliable sources. You know, so Mayo Clinic has an amazing database. Cleveland yeah. Clinic, you know, Stanford, all these places are easily accessible, free, and unbiased. Um, mm real scientific information, whatever, pretty much whatever you're looking for. So, so go there. Um, I could find in 25 seconds, I bet I could find an article that says that, um, you know, COVID-19 actually improves your testosterone and makes it more likely that you'll win the lottery. You know, (laughs) you can find whatever you want. You could find any kind of anything you want. And that's, that's scary. That's dangerous. So I just would say, Look in the right source, you know, research in the right places. And <laughs> is it on there? Yeah, it's probably Google search. Yeah, uh, I just Google searched that exact thing and I have. Uh, Do COVID and testosterone. So I bet you could find an article no, that says it I, goes there's up a ton. and then it there's, goes down. There's, there's both actually yep. on the first page. So right. testosterone may increase COVID complication yep. risks and lowering testosterone may reduce severity. Well, I guess that's the same. That's just written differently in different right. perspectives. Why coronavirus hits men harder due to sex hormones than women? So yeah, but I there's thought it a was testosterone. women because of their uh, ACE receptor <laughs> upregulation. No one knows. No one knows that this is the the problem with the internet is that now you got so many options as opposed to like we talked about last time. You know, going to the one doctor in the small town. Yep. Watch this though. Tonight I'm going to have an ad for. Um, testosterone replacement based on your search. I haven't done anything, but I'm going to have something that pops oh, up. Because my, so if it, we're in, in a, our studio at the office and my computer is sitting on the desk, yep. his cell phone until the other side of the room. But we're going to see if that happens. Yep. 
This happened last night. What was? Oh my gosh. Uh, oh yeah. Oh, I don't know if I want to share that actually. <laughs> I don't really care. So uh, there's this product called Tushy. Tushy. Yep. Is that the one that washes your butt? Absolutely, it does. Awesome. I like it. Um, available at all major retailers. <laughs> right. We need that's, the ad now. We, no, we do need to get an ad for that. We should Tushy. If you're listening, Tushy. We need to be monetized. I want the spa version that heats the water up. So this Ooh, thing yeah. is amazing, man. Everyone poops. It's okay. That's right. We're docs. So I bought it. Did you really? Yep. And I, uh, the box came and I hid it immediately from my wife. <laughs> Not that she couldn't go on Amazon and see like, what did you buy a bidet for? <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, so yeah. So I hooked it up and you know, it's amazing. Uh, and I'm not kidding. It was within maybe a minute or two. My wife had an ad on some social media for Tushy. I said, have oh you God. ever heard of it before? She said, no. Wow. Crazy. They're, they're watching us, man. The, yeah. Social media definitely influences things, but I think in the medical side, it's yeah. in, I think it's influencing people's perspective on who's right, what's right, why they're here, what's mm-hmm. happening. And I think we have just seen the progression of that yeah. in a slow transition so we haven't noticed it or paid much attention because it's just been kind of part of the the society's change, right? right? Yeah. Because you and I both grew up with rotary dial phones before there was no way cell phones and internet. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, that's true. You were you were born a month ago. I had a cell phone uh, like when I was five. That's that, that's true. You did. I had you, uh, you had a brick phone, <laughs> big I was bag in phone. High school. I remember the bag phone. My dad had one. Yeah, I yeah. had one too. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, my first cell phone was definitely maybe senior year of high school. Texting wasn't a thing until med school, though. I, I think. Yeah. Much later, but yeah, we didn't grow up with it for sure. I had a, I had one mounted in my truck. It was literally bolted in the the <laughs> the, the whole base of the phone. It was pre bag phone. And then the, oh, yeah. it had a big, long wire to an antenna. And you were cool if you didn't have to drill a hole on the roof of your pickup truck. Oh, so you had a you had a, went through the window. It was radio frequency, and it was double sided sticky tape. And you stuck it on your window, and the antenna was on the outside of the window, and the wire and all the connections were on the inside of the window. And then when you dialed, it was actually a big ass looked like a handset from a phone hanging on your wall. And now you've got like a chronic burns on your face, and you have like a big <laughs> astrocytoma growing on the right side of your head. <laughs> from my yeah, exactly. Oh man, from my iPhone. <laughs> Times have changed. I think social media could be amazing for the medical community, but right now it's very confusing. You know, it's just very confusing. Well, I think that, I think even amongst so amongst the group of us, there's m- not misinformation, but different consensus on certain things. And we get together and we'll talk about one particular case because we all want to help the patient. But mm-hmm. if you ask. The joke when I used to do EKGs, you ask three different doctors, and they'll give you three different interpretations on some obscure, yep. random, out of the box. If That's it's not true. If it's not textbook, if it's not a straight NSR or you know, normal sinus rhythm or AFib, mm-hmm. if it's some weird, odd rhythm, there will be levels of minutia in that diagnosis within the EKG read. Uh, it's all over. I mean, we do. We have the the oculostenotic reflex, as is, is what's called in. Uh, in the cath lab where I can look at a lesion and say, 
mm, that's 60%. And then another interventionalist can come by and say, oh, dude, that's like 30. And someone else can come by and say, that's 80. Oh, yeah. This is how FFR and, and a lot of these kind of, uh, not newer, but um, more advanced um, assessments of, of lesions came about because our eyes are nowhere near as good as we think they are. No. And yeah, so that's for sure. There's there's definitely interpretation, different interpretations of of, uh, of things. So I mean, even amongst the group of physicians, oh, yeah. you're not going to get a always get consensus. I'm going to tell you on that EKG, the squiggly rhythm. The patient's not dying right now. They're not having a heart attack, and they're in a normalish rhythm. Yeah, and and then you'll <laughs> find you know like our EP docs will be like, hmm, you know that P wave axis is a little bit off. <laughs> And God bless them. We need them. Their minds yes. work in a different way. But you're a plumber. I'm a plumber. I'm telling you. Are you are not an electrician. That person won't die uh, right now from a heart attack. Right. And that's good. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Well, I, I, I think that's what drew me to cardiology is because it's more, it's plumber, electrician, mechanical construction type. For sure. Mindset. As opposed to neuro, which is kind of computer programming and obscure random data yep. that you need to wait for it to come out of the person. Yep, for sure. But yeah, if you're a plumber, I honestly don't think you're. I mean, you have to know the electrical part a little bit. You but do. You don't. You're not hyper focused on the electrical part. Just like the electrician, I don't believe you know is hyper focused on the plumbing part. No, there's too much to know. There's there there was definitely a time when I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be I'm going to be a coronary valve peripheral, you know, structural wizard. And then I think if you're honest with yourself, it's tough to do all those things. Maybe you can yeah. do two of them. And really good at two of them, but if you're okay at the other three, don't do them. Ah, there you go. There are people that are good at find those people things. that are okay, that are really good at those things. Yeah, yeah. And just be really good. Yeah. All right. Well, should we call it quits for the day? Since you've uh, since this is your second podcast with us, we've almost done an hour. That's amazing. Time flies. Time flies when you're talking on these yeah. microphones, man. Do you feel like you sound better this no, time? No, I was though? just thinking about that. <laughs> I sound like seriously, Sanjay Gupta. And um, Patrick Mahomes had like a like a threesome love child <laughs> with Kermit the Frog. That's a, it's a good thing. Good thing I'm so devilishly handsome. Yes, that helps. You know. Oh man, we should. We need to get video going for this, and then people would understand how devilishly handsome you are. If you get video, I'm going to show up like uh, what's the what's uh, Sia. Remember Sia? Uh, Google Sia. Um, she she came she comes out. She sings, and she's beautiful. Um, but she doesn't want anyone to see her face, so she just wears these like bangs that cover her face. That's what I'm going to come out looking like, just like <laughs> just that. straight up. Is it like? Oh, that's funny. Or maybe I'll do the Jim Morrison thing and, and I'll do the podcast with my back turned to you the whole time. <laughs> like he used to sing to the audience with his back turned. There you go. Yeah, I'm just a mess. No, that'd be awesome. I think it's cool. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I started the keto, I did keto bricks for a little bit, and I went through all their flavors. Available where uh, available at keto brick keto brick dot com. Keto bricks are they are not they are not good. They're not. It's so um, weird. So they might be good for you, maybe, yes. but they're not built well to eat to be eaten. And I think I have to. I just came to the conclusion that I'm not a foodie. Um, no. So if that's perfect nutrition in my mind, um, I'm I'm gonna choke it down, and it, there's no question that it keeps you full and it makes right. me feel good. I don't ever feel groggy or or you know weighed down, but uh, boy, they don't taste good. 
Um, I can't say they taste bad necessarily. The but toasted almond one, the toasted almond coconut's the only one I will eat yeah. regularly. So far, the other ones, not a fan. Just pour chocolate on it. It tastes pretty good that way. <laughs> that defeats the purpose. Exactly. No, I, I just dip it in some Hershey chocolate syrup. I, I have I have probably twenty left of the thirty I bought. Front my month supply is going to last me six months. <laughs> right. But uh, no, that's fine. Yeah, to keep keep with it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try because I gotta. So people don't know this, but you lost what eighty pounds, right? In mm-hmm. the, in a year on keto. Mm. I think we talked about it last time. So now I have to try and meet that requirement to see if I can lose uh, eight pounds in a year. Yeah, I, one I've tenth. I, since I'm one tenth as smart, I need to lose one tenth the weight. You just go on social media <laughs> and you can find your ideal body. Oh, that's true. Right? Mine is the. Uh, uh, Christian Bale from The Machinist. Ooh, that's a good one. You know, he's like 40 pounds. Yeah. No, that's not My, what I want to look like. Mine's Gabriel Iglesias. Who's that? Uh, comedian. He goes, he goes by Fluffy because he's a big guy. Really? And the people used to bring him cakes because he liked cakes. So he'd bring cakes to his show. No, I did not wake up twice last night to eat carrot cake. <laughs> what did you say that for? <laughs> I did, by the way. Did you really? Yeah. It was everything you always thought it could My be. My dad brought over half of a carrot cake. And, and now uh, there's only a sliver left. I woke up twice last night and ate it. <laughs> so that's, that begs the question. If you eat without people seeing you eat it, did it count? No. The calories between 1 and 3 a.m. scientifically do not. They don't <laughs> they're not. They're not working? Uh, I not read that on the interwebs. Body. I read that on the interwebs somewhere. Yeah. Um, so it has to be true. It's got, it must be true. I heard Abraham Lincoln said don't read, believe everything you read on the internet. Who's that? Abraham Lincoln. The wooden teeth guy? Yeah. Top hat guy. Top hat guy. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. a little older than us. Smart guy. Was smart. Yeah. Got a real good head on his shoulders. Very, well, he did. Very presidential. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, this was fun. I love this, man. This is this is good. I hope people listen. Yeah, um, me too. We got to get more than uh, the two people that do listen to listen. You should put it on social media. <laughs> I do. I put it on Twitter. And you, can, you can tag Up on our medically unbiased. Me. Okay. I'll but tag you. You don't have an account anymore. You will not find me. I'm well, incognito under the radar. I like it. Yep. Well, that's all right. Well, email us, info at medicallyunbiased.com, people, and have a great day. You've been listening to Medically Unbiased. Visit our website at medicallyunbiased.com. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Medically Unbiased. Listening to this podcast does not create a doctor-patient relationship. The Medically Unbiased podcast is for general information purposes only. Thanks for listening.